So we were so excited to find out we were pregnant. We were trying for a little bit. And so it was really just amazing news that we were able to become pregnant. And I got sick. I guess it was a bunch of different things. It was medication and the pregnancy and the change of seasons and everything. The doctors described it as the perfect storm. This is Voices of Duke Health. I'm Dr. Carrie Adair. Today on the podcast, Duke nurse Brian and his wife Emily share their remarkable story of a serious asthma attack that hit at 18 weeks of pregnancy. My name is Brian Montero. I work at Duke University in the pediatric ICU. I'm his wife, Emily Montero, and this is our baby, our three-month-old baby. His name is Grayson. (laughs) Hi, welcome. So thanks so much for being with us. I'd love to just hear, how did you guys meet? So we originally met at Rutgers. We both went to Rutgers University in New Jersey, and we met our freshman year, and we kind of uh, were mutual friends. He's telling the story, but through mutual friends, we got to know each other and we ended up taking the bus together to New York City, then to Boston, and then would be come back home to Rutgers. So, and then we got to know each other and one thing led to another and yeah, it's about 10 years later. 10 years. Congratulations. Okay. So I'd love to just hear your story. What, what kind of happened leading up to this, this part of the story that we're really interested in around your health? I was actually fine that day. It started off as a normal day. Um, and then at dinner time that night was when everything started going downhill very, very fast. Yeah. So we went out to dinner and she just started having to take her nebulizer, which she does have bad asthma. So Emma going to the ED kind of once every six months to get a dual neb treatment and come home is not out of the ordinary. So she ended up taking up her nebulizer at the restaurant. We ended up going home. And then when we were home, I remember I'm walking the dog. She's calling me on my phone, but I can't really hear her talking. So I go upstairs and I see her not being able to breathe, not being able to talk. So I immediately call 911. And I can kind of tell, like, I've seen Emma have asthma attacks before. This is kind of something a little more. So being a nurse, I'm just thinking of all the things, of course. So EMS does come. So ended up going to WakeMed in Cary. And then that's where we spent basically a total of 24 hours. She was intubated in WakeMed Cary. And from there, did contact Duke initially just to say, hey, she is an ECMO candidate. We'll see basically if we're able to wean down on any of these settings. Oh, my gosh. So, wow. So it sounds like things escalated really pretty quickly. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like he said, I I mean, I feel like I know my body, but I even thought I was like, oh, this is a normal asthma attack, you know, on the worst end of it. But I was like, I'll go home, I'll take my nebulizer treatment and I'll be fine. Uh, And as I was reaching for my nebulizer, I realized I can't take any medication in. I was scared. I couldn't even get the treatment going because I couldn't move. But yeah, it it escalated so, so quickly. We did not expect that at all. Ryan, given your background and expertise, what were some of like the thoughts going through your head as it was kind of starting off and getting into the hospital? Yeah, so 
I mean, seeing her kind of head bobbing, I was like, oh no, most likely we'll have to be intubated just because she's not holding her airway. But I think it was just the initial of seeing her intubated is kind of what just like, this is real. Wow. Okay. So you're in the hospital, you're at wake med intubation. What happens next? So he's going to be telling a lot of the story. Obviously I was not, not conscious. So yeah. Yeah. So wake med did an excellent job. So we ended up going to their, their ICU, which is not a very big ICU. I think it's a total of maybe 12 beds, but we spent a total of 24 hours there. She was obviously trying to be sedated and everything comfortable on the ventilator. But with asthmatics, if they're not taking in oxygen, then you need to implement other steps. So I was actually calling with my nurse manager. I called with our attending at the PICU and kind of was like having them brainstorm together, the attending from Wake Med and the attending from my unit to see what other routes we can go. And we started to initiating like, hey, we're going to probably have to move her from Wake Med Carry to Duke. And to be honest, I was nervous, but at the same time, being a Duke nurse, I know like, and having taken care of like ECMO and seeing like the life flight team do their stuff, it's like comforting to see and hear like, this is the team that's going to kind of take over. Yeah, I could imagine if you hadn't had seen that kind of thing before, it might have been even scarier than it already was. And then to see those people in the place that sounds like added a little bit of comfort or reassurance in the midst of a really tough moment. Yeah, big time. Total, totally agree with that. So what happens next? So basically we're going the ECMO route because she's not sustaining on the ventilator. So Duke Life Flight team comes to us. They were supposed to fly her, but due to weather, it was too foggy apparently that night or that day. So they came and the Duke team actually cannulated at the bedside there. And then we're able to transport her straight to the MICU at Duke University Hospital. And that happened all pretty quickly. I mean, between the Duke team getting there, cannulating, and then kind of taking her to Duke University was maybe like a two to three hour type of situation. And what's going through your mind and and how are you feeling through this? It sounds just like absolutely intense, like one of those moments you never think or hope you'd be in. What was that like? Yeah, very, very surreal, I guess, just because obviously her parents drove all the way from Pennsylvania and then my parents were also at the bedside. So it was just tough seeing them there. It's really hard to see just because, you know, obviously throughout all this time, I was unconscious and all these people that had come to be with me and be with our family and support us during this time. It was, I mean, it was amazing to see our community come together, but it was hard. I will say from my end afterwards, seeing Brian and our family hurt the way they did, because I obviously, I don't have that same connection to the experiences they did, but it is hard to see that it's just elicited so much of, you know, these 
scary emotions for a lot of people. Well, you're, you're so loved, right? Incredibly tough. So, um, so you're in, you're, you're undergoing ECMO. Things are uncertain. What's, yeah. What happens next? Yeah. Things are pretty uncertain. Also, I mean, just on top of this being 18 weeks pregnant at the time, we spent a total of nine days on ECMO. And what I was told is like, normally asthmatics, they're on ECMO, which is very comforting at the time when it started was they take generally four to six days and they kind of bounce back pretty quickly. So on basically day seven, day eight, it's kind of like, like, Hey, I was kind of told this, why aren't we getting better? Um, but all the attendings at the, at the MICU were amazing they just kind of kept getting like brainstorming. They'd brainstorm with me during their rounds and everything. I was a part of it, which was nice to hear. And just being in the medical field, knowing what's going on too, it just kind of helps me. But they were able to brainstorm and figure out that they had to switch her medications from one to another while she was pregnant. And then once they clicked their brains together and stayed the course that they were on, we started start to see small minor improvements. But through those nine days, just between my staff and the friends that I also had on the MICU, they were a huge support system, like amazing support system. Did you want to say anything? Yeah, no, I mean, again, after coming out of that state and I was able to, you know, hear everything that happened and how the community came together, his PICU family, absolutely amazing people. I mean, I knew that already, but just seeing them in action even more so in this situation. They, they're they such amazing, amazing people. And we're, we're so extremely lucky. Because this is, you know, this is your wife, your love, and your baby. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about what ECMO is and kind of what that was like, given your, like, knowledge base? What What's involved in that? And... How did yeah. that play a role in maybe how you were feeling or what you were thinking about? Yeah, so ECMO basically is a device that, in her case, her lungs weren't working as an asthmatic, acted as her lungs. So they placed them um, two cannulas, one in the, the right side of her neck and one on the right side of her groin. And it kind of circulated the blood outside of her body and then would go to the machine, oxygenate it, and relief some of the CO2 that was built up and then go back in her body. It's kind of the, the last, the last thing that we're able to do currently to help lungs that aren't working. And just kind of knowing that might've been a detriment to myself just because it's like, Hey, if this doesn't work, what else is there? I think that obviously was the biggest fear of just like saying, Hey, this is, this is kind of the, the last, the last thing we can do. But it was very comforting knowing that, I mean, I've read kind of every article that there was and the prognosis is for this was like overall good for asthma. I guess the curveball was being pregnant. There weren't many studies at all about pregnant women undergoing ECMO. So that was the tough part for me to wrap my head around. But the OB team there was also awesome. They would come every day do an ultrasound every day. So I got to see Grayson every day, which is cool. And he was but, doing all right in there. 
Yeah, he was doing all right in there. He was doing, he was hanging on. I kind of looked forward to that too, like every day when they would show up. It was cool to see. So it's it's been a week and maybe a day or two at this point. You had like some amazing doctors and nurses, amazing teams, the OBs. Everyone was kind of like rallying around troubleshooting and that you got to be involved in, you know, those those rounds and, and her treatment. What happens next as you're sort of nearing the end of, of this ECMO time? I would say by day eight is when day eight on ECMO is kind of when they started bringing down some of the sedation. So you can kind of have some videos that like, that it's kind of cool. Like I'd play some music and Emma would like bob her head and not really be there, but like you can tell that she's hearing it, which is kind of cool to see. But by day eight, they started weaning down some of the sedation. She was still very much out of it. Mm -hmm. And I would say by day nine is kind of when they decannulated, taking, which taking the ECMO catheters out. And then by day 10, they were able to extubate her and take the tube out of her, which was a blessing. How did they know from a medical perspective that it was okay for her to kind of go off ECMO at that point? Yeah. So how ECMO works is that they can actually do clamp trials and the whole situation with her is having her as an asthmatic, unable to regulate your CO2. So you're not able to take deep enough breaths and let enough air out is the big thing. So the ECMO machine actually has a way to let you know, hey, she's starting to regulate her own CO2. It's not climbing. And they just do constant um, labs such as blood gases to be able to say, hey, her blood is not acidotic. It's in a regular level. So just being able to do those every 12 hours and see that her pH is in the right area and her CO2 is being regulated more so by herself that they can actually keep the ECMO machine on, but not have it work to see if her body is able to regulate everything as it's supposed to, and then actually do a clamp trial where they clamp the ECMO off and have her body run as it should. So what happens next? She's, she's off ECMO. You've got the docs and the nurses and the whole team working <laughs> to transition. Then what happened? I think it's, Kind of cool. So everything happened pretty quickly from the time of being off ECMO to being extubated. I mean, it took a little while for her to come to. She has some funny stories of where she thought she was or (laughs) who she thought she was and everything just being on all the sedation. I'd love to hear some of those. Well, I guess throughout the whole experience, I thought I was on vacation. Yeah, I guess I don't know all the drugs that they had me on. I thought I was in Tampa. I thought I was meeting celebrities. <laughs> I, was, I was living a good life. And obviously, turns out that was very far from, from reality. I, when I woke up, I just remember seeing all these doctors around me. I'm like, what is the big deal? Like, why are they all here? <laughs> Not realizing what I had just gone through. I just woke up like I'm fine. <laughs> um, um, until well, obviously, a couple of weeks later, when I was able to, you know, process things, people t- walked me through it and they're like, no, this was, this was a big thing. This is why everybody was surrounding you. And this is why we're also interested in, in this recovery that you've made. But yeah, I, I was on vacation in Tampa this whole <laughs> crazy, time. Crazy. <laughs> so mind, mind boggling to me when I hear that, but yeah. clearly the, the medications and everything, they did what they were supposed to do. 
(laughs) What does the brain do? It does amazing things in the midst of what is an incredibly difficult situation. So as you're kind of transitioning, becoming more conscious, was that like a quick transition? Like, Brian, did you know she was going to be kind of coming to? Did it happen quickly? I mean, she laid in a bed for about 13 days. So obviously there's some deterioration and being also almost two weeks more pregnant. So there was just the combination of her body probably getting used to like, hey, what did I just get through? I didn't really move for about two weeks. I'm also two weeks larger in a way. So I think that was probably the hardest battle mentally. She was, Emma, she seemed herself just kind of tired and lethargic, but to be expected. Yeah, I remember waking or again, becoming conscious when my body, I was like, I felt so much weight on my stomach, obviously. My whole body feels so heavy. And then I would practice my fine motor and try to t- pick up like M&Ms and peanuts. And when they cleared me to eat and I would have to use both my hands to like put it into my <laughs> mouth and half the time I would miss, but <laughs> it was very frustrating. Cause my, I remember my mind was like, okay, you can, you can do this. I know you know how to feed yourself, but then it wouldn't work the way it should. So that was really frustrating. But yeah, I guess it's all to be expected as, you know, laying in bed for two weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like you're recovering for, you know, several more days in the hospital. And then when you found out you could go home, how did that feel? What were you thinking about? Oh my God. <laughs> we were, this guy was, I swear we were like flying with me on the wheelchair, just out the door. He was like, I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> We did stop to say thank you and oh hello and thank you to the PICU family. We did kind of like a quick round headed towards my unit and mm-hmm. kind of waved our goodbyes yes. for, a, for a, a little very time. happy goodbye. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it was, we were ecstatic. I was just ready to be home and in my bed and just get back to normal life. Yeah. So you've gone through this incredibly difficult experience as you're kind of like coming back into your normal even though there's some recovery does it make you think differently about life or what you're looking forward to at least for me definitely Um, I mean I, I like I mean you can't take these moments for granted I mean I think it's kind of cliche but I've haven't been through this it's so true Yeah. I mean, right now we are currently in Tampa, Florida, so we're going to be trying to go on more vacations as much as possible, kind of take (laughs) Grayson everywhere we can think of. I think that was really the major takeaway from all this for a lot of people about life was just, you know, take each moment and live and do what makes you happy because life is so short. Like we want to do something. Let's do it now. Like be with family, be with friends, take vacations, do all these things that make you happy because you never know for sure. That morning when I woke up, I was, I was eating cookies with my brothers and never in a million years would have thought two weeks later, I'd wake up having gone through all that. It's, it's sad that it took that to get us Mm -hmm. to that mindset. I mean, how everything turned out, it's been a huge blessing. And to be able to now think like this and take these trips and kind of live in the moment more so is, is awesome. It's amazing. Wow. 
I love that you're actually on vacation where Emma thought she was on vacation, oh. right? <laughs> so it's kind of, it's yeah. kind of funny because my parents ended up buying a house here in Tampa two weeks ago. Yeah. So now this is going to be a running joke, I guess, yeah. in a way. It's, this is where Emma was. Yeah. <laughs> I remember coming to Tampa after my hospitalization, the first time I had come back and I was like, oh, it's good to be back here. Like, <laughs> no, I was never here to begin with. <laughs> in my head, I was. So, but yeah, it's, I mean, like Brian said, it, it, I wish it didn't come to this, that it took us to learn that life lesson, but definitely now we have a healthy little baby and we're taking him around and just enjoying everything that we possibly can while we can. So that's awesome. Yes. So how, how old is the baby now? He's three months old. Three mm-hmm. months old. And what was it like which, as you were kind of like going back to the hospital? Did you deliver at Duke? I did. Yeah. I actually had to, because of this experience, I was then labeled a high risk pregnancy and actually was told for all my pregnancies after I will be considered high risk because of my ECMO history. So I did deliver at Big Duke and it was, it was a really great experience. Uh, The staff again was amazing. And I actually didn't know the sex of our child until he was born, which was pretty cool. So like I was able to make it the entire nine months of not knowing. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> Emma, did you know? I accidentally found out, <laughs> but I kept it a secret. So he was able to be surprised on during our baby's birth and it was good. But yeah, coming back to that hospital afterwards, I was like, all right, this time it's for something good. That's amazing. So Brian, does it make you think about Duke any differently? I mean, I guess in terms of the care that I would provide, it does just because now I'm kind of, I can, I've been where the parents are currently in a way, like at the bedside of the hospital, like knowing the type of care I wanted for her. I understand the care that the parents want for their child. So I would say in those senses of how it changed me in terms of my patient care and the nurse I want to be, I kind of stepped up maybe just my game as much as possible. But in terms of what Duke was able to do, it was incredible. They moved mountain, mountains for us. Which, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Clearly, as I get so emotional every time I think about it. <laughs> oh. Yeah, we were, I mean, our, I know our parents did some research, too. And they were like, you guys were so lucky to have Duke be your hospital. If you were anywhere else, the story could have ended a lot different. But because you had Duke and you had the Duke teams and their technology and everything, you guys were very, very fortunate. Yes, we and I mean, I do want to say also like a special thank you again to, you know, obviously all of Duke. I even posted there was one of my nurses in the MICU. She actually hand wrote me a letter for when I would wake up. I don't know how many days into ECMO I was. Um, I'm unsure. It was- yeah, it was pretty early on. And she wrote me a letter saying, we're rooting for you, Brian and the baby. And just, she was my nurse, I guess, for three days or four three, days. Three and it was just so sweet that she had gone that extra mile to make sure to kind of personalize this experience. And it was, it's just amazing. Like I keep that with me. Yeah. So I just, you know, a special thank you to like all, you know, the MICU team for that. 
I'm so grateful for both of you to share that with us and so glad that, that the outcome was so positive and that you got to go back for a really positive reason also for, for the little baby. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these guys, like my family and obviously Brian <laughs> here, they went through so much and it, it does being on the other end, being on the patient end, it, it's hard, I think for me, because I want to connect as much as possible to what everybody had gone through, but it's almost impossible because I can't, I don't, I don't know. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't there, but I wasn't mentally there, but you know, I want to connect with them as much as possible and know what they had gone through, feel some of that. And I felt so much love from our community and obviously from Brian and everybody was like, you know, this guy, he loves you. He like, we went and saw his nurse manager and they're like, this is, you're the people we wanted to see. They're like, this guy, he did not leave your side. And I, I mean, obviously I knew that, but it was, it was just, it was hard. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But so, so thankful even though we don't love to, you know, relive it all the time, it is good to, you know, just think about every once in a while, you know, what brought us here and, you know, what's the thing that's continuing to drive us. So, yeah, we appreciate it. Many thanks to Brian, Emily, and Grayson Montero for sharing their story. Thanks also to Jenny Clay and Sierra Stubblefield for their help on the episode. I'm Carrie Adair. This is Voices of Duke Health.